Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello everyone, CJ here and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. Uh, now, today we're going to talk about modern homesteading. And as an Australian, I always feel a bit odd referring to myself as a homesteader because I tend to see that as more of a American phrase. Um, but when you look at what it actually involves and what the definition is then a homesteader is exactly what I'm doing at the moment and what I'm aiming for. Uh, but before we go into that, before we jump in, um, I just want to say thank you to everybody because we're just about at 200 downloads for the podcast, which is super exciting. Um, I never ever envisaged that I would um, have a podcast, uh, but I feel like it's it's been really good. To I feel like I'm talking to all these people about homesteading and chicken keeping and goats and all the kinds of things. So it, I, I'm really loving it. Anyway, thank you for your downloads because we're nearly at 200 after this episode releases. We probably will be. Um, and this week I'm definitely not as croaky as I was in the last two episodes. Um, unfortunately, I had been a little bit unwell and didn't realise that I had a collapsed lung. And um, yeah, on the mend now, <laughs> thanks to some antibiotics. Uh, but yeah, was not fun for a couple of weeks there. Anyway. I am very keen to talk to you about modern homesteading because I find so much of it is exactly where I want to be and, and I can't imagine that other people don't want to be there but it may not be your cup of tea or it might be something that you have thought about but you're not sure whether it's actually what you could do or, or where you'd want to be. So what is modern homesteading? It generally refers to a self-sufficient kind of lifestyle. So a lifestyle that um, is using minimum help from others or from outside sources. So that could include subsistence agriculture. It could include renewable energy sources, home preservation for food so that you um, don't have to go to the supermarket. You can grow your own food and preserve it and keep it for later when there's you know, feast or famine type times. Uh, zero waste living, so not having um, a huge amount of refuge that's coming out of your house because you're using and recycling everything that you can. Uh, and depending on your skills, certainly in the States, a lot of people homeskill, homeschool. Um, uh, we don't homeschool here as much in Australia. I was actually homeschooled for a couple of years um, when we moved to our big farm as a kid. Uh, but my kids and I have discussed it and I am no teacher. If you're a teacher, I take my hat off to you. You do a job that I could definitely not do. And keeping in mind I work in law enforcement, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, school teachers are the bomb and I could not do your job. So uh, we don't homeschool. My two children would, I don't know who'd, who'd struggle more with it, me or them. Uh, but it can also include things like craft work, you know, um, weaving, spinning, doing woodwork, so that you don't have to source those kind of items from outside of the home. 
Now, it's certainly not a lifestyle for people who are afraid of manual labour. Um, modern homesteading is labour intensive. Uh, you, uh, traditional homesteading is absolutely labour intensive. Luckily these days we have a few more tricks up our sleeve. Um, I can tell you right now, I have a Thermomix. Yes, I'm one of that horrible sect. Um, but I would never give my Thermomix up. I love it. It's great. I can process grains into flowers. I can uh, make my own you know, curry paste. I can make my own seasonings. Uh, I can make yogurt in there. Uh, custard we make from scratch here because we've got eggs and milk. All those kinds of things. I'm not giving up my thermo <laughs> and I'm not going to stand there and hand mix if I don't have to. Um, but it is about being able to live um, at where you make most of the things yourself. So it is labour intensive. Uh, luckily for us, because we have these modern technologies um, like, you know, rotary hose and post hole diggers and thermo mixers uh, we don't have to do quite as much as what our traditional homesteading counterparts would have done years ago uh, i think we've got the best of both worlds now by by doing that but what i did was i came up with 10 key kind of principles for modern homesteading uh, that i believe modern homesteaders encompass and i was just going to run through those and discuss a little bit about them and then what we're trying to do at mojo homestead to, to to kind of live within that principle so the first one obviously is self-sufficiency we're trying to live a lifestyle where i have to go to the shops less i can do more things myself uh, produce more things myself and feed my family I guess feed and clothe eventually that's what we're aiming for so um, by reducing those the need on external sources to provide our food I feel like we're reducing what we have to spend uh, which allows us a little bit more cash in because uh, both the handy helper and I are still working full-time uh, but eventually I would like to get to the point where that self-sufficiency is such that I don't need to work because I'm capable of producing everything I need for my family and also producing enough excess to sell for the things that I do need cash for. And I would love to say in this day and age that we could just you know, not have to worry about cash. But at the end of the day, we still need cash. I still have to pay insurances, rates, petrol for the car, registration for the car those kinds of things we still have medical insurance although here in Australia it's nowhere near as bad as in the US as far as the cost of medical insurance uh, but it's still quite exy and with two children still in you know just going into high school the last one um, and the first one needed braces the second one's definitely going to need braces I don't have a choice on that one I need to keep the medical insurance up so those kinds of things I want to be able to produce enough food and um, other items that we use in the household uh, for our house but also produce enough that we would have excess that we can then go on to sell to somebody else and by doing that have that cash injection into the household for the items that I have to pay cash for so my big goals with Mojo Homestead and you know your goals may not be this big you might be um, just wanting to keep you know a couple of fruit trees a veggie garden maybe a small flock of chickens you might be you know you might have a couple of acres and be thinking oh I could I could 
have a larger veggie garden I could have more fruit trees I could have a larger flock of chickens with excess eggs and maybe even have what we in Australia refer to as a killer lamb which is a, a lamb that you raise from weaning age until they're big enough to put in the freezer and then butcher and fill your freezer yourself um, you might be a hunter you might be interested in going out and being able to shoot um, deer kangaroo for us here in Australia rabbits we shoot as well and stocking up your freezer in that way so that you've got excess meat that you you know wouldn't normally buy from the butcher um, but at Mojo Homestead we have a list so I will go through our list now so feeding and providing for my family list is to grow enough garden produce and have enough excess to preserve uh, during the winter months now at the moment I'm on a carnivore-ish diet I'll call it carnivore-ish because I still have been having some vegetables um, but predominantly I had a meat-based diet or animal product based diet but I still have some veggies and my kids still eat veggies and my partner still eats veggies so we still have those things uh, but being able to grow enough in the garden to eat for now while it's fresh and preserve enough for the winter months would be awesome to have our own supply of goats and cow's milk for cheese and yogurt so this year coming up in August, end of August, I should have three goats kidding, uh, which I have previously milked two of them. One's a first freshener, so she's this will be her first time. And I love goat's milk. I hated it as a kid. I have grown to love it. I found that I make awesome cheese out of it, uh, particularly feta and halloumi. Oh my goodness, the handy helper couldn't believe the halloumi. He was, all he wanted to do was have steaks with halloumi on top. Um... So we also have uh, Millie, or Millicent, her proper name, uh, who is a uh, purebred Frisian Holstein. Uh, she is nearly 12 months old, so uh, at the end of this year she'll likely go under the bull. And then the next year we will have a little calf out of her and I'll have a milking cow, which will be awesome. Uh, grow our own beef cattle, goat meat and chicken meat for our freezer. Now we already do our own chickens and we have done one goat so far but we intend to do more of our own goat meat and uh, along with Millicent the milking cow we also have Molly who is Angus Cross and um, I'm hoping to put her under the bull uh, at the end of this year as well. Raw honey from our bees because as you know I'm a beekeeper so we um, at the moment have one full-blown hive, two Kenyan top bar hives, which I have not harvested from this year so far. Look, I hadn't harvested from as to date, but they're healthy enough to do that next spring. And we also have another four hives that are currently growing out. They're um they're in one box only at the moment, but I'm hoping by the end of next season we might get some honey off them as well. Uh, Fruit and nut trees. At the moment, I've just got a couple of ap apple trees and a cherry tree, but I'm looking to uh, have a bit of an orchard as far as the different fruits that we like and nuts that we like. And, and that's not something that I want to necessarily sell, but preserving and having enough for us to eat would be awesome. Um, enough wool off my Angora goats for craft projects. That would be awesome. I still have to really master the art of spinning. I can just do it. Just only just um, and making your own soaps and candles um, I make uh, goat's milk soap which is absolutely awesome if you have eczema and I put a little bit of honey in it and I also have leftover wax from our beekeeping uh, and I've tried making candles I'm not very good at it yet but that's a skill that I just need to learn and get better at 
So that's just keeping the family running. Now, what I would like to do, my long-term goals, as far as making an income, are to be selling pasture-raised eggs and chicken meat, to sell raw honey and also complete hives where I nurture the hive to the point that it is um, with queen, laying eggs, producing honey, nice and strong and healthy and selling that to people. Uh, to be raising potty calves or potty, potty steers to sell for meat. Uh, selling goat's milk soap. I have a long-term ambition to be doing that. That's <laughs> a fair way to the future. I only just make enough for us at the moment. Um, but also too, I'd like to get into the idea of selling microgreens and vegetables. Um, I think that would be awesome to have a little uh, weekend store. Um, I also already have an, a Shopify store and Amazon store for selling homesteady related products. Uh, but I want to expand that obviously as time goes on. So they're the kinds of things that I'm trying to do within that homesteading self-sufficiency module. Um, and I'd really love to hear what you guys think you would be capable of doing. Now, certainly raising livestock and killing livestock is not for everybody. And, um, you know, if, if it's not your cup of tea, don't feel bad about it. Uh, being a homesteader doesn't mean you have to raise livestock and kill your own livestock. It certainly helps because meat is one of the huge costs associated with living. Um, certainly if my grocery budget didn't include meat, uh, it would be a lot lower. But, you know, even if you are at a point where you're raising your own eggs, that's still a protein source coming into the diet. Um, and certainly that's a lot more doable for most people. Uh, so the second point was sustainable living. Now, we're really lucky in that respect. Um, we're currently completely off-grid. Uh, we uh, have solar panels for our roof uh, and batteries to bank up the energy. We also have a petrol generator for times when it's super overcast or we've had, you know, in the last 12 months, we've had so much rain. So when we have a week's worth of rain, the solar panels just don't get a chance to charge up those batteries. So having that generator makes a bit of a backup you know, thing for us. Uh, we have gas in large cylinders that we go and collect from the store and we um, hook them up for our hot water. I am looking at biogas digester systems, which I think would be awesome. And I think the only problem that we would have here is that we do get really cold winters where we have frosts. And my understanding with the biogas digesters is that you need a fairly constant temperature above a certain level so i don't know whether we could like build it into a not a shed but you know cover it or something like that so i'm, I'm still looking into that that's a long-term project um we are uh, off-grid for our water so we have a hundred and ten thousand liter water tank that we collect rainwater in we also have five dams spread across the property for farm animals to drink from and I'm looking into systems that for slowing water drainage um, of our property so that we have basically um, water courses that are really slowed down. So we have these little ponds. They call it, refer to them as chain of ponds. Um, Peter and Stuart Andrews, and I might put a link in the notes, um, run a natural sequence farming technique program uh, at Tarwin Park Training. And I... That's my goal long term to get onto one of their courses. They are awesome. I think I had somebody refer to Peter Andrews, who's the father, as being a man who could move water uphill, <laughs> which I think if you could sustain water on a property and do that, that's a pretty, pretty good step in the right direction for keeping enough water on a farm to cover the animals and cover yourself and make sure that you've got enough for veggie gardens and things like that. 
Uh, sewage uh, is one thing that most people don't think about when they live in town. <laughs> but for us, uh, we are we have a septic tank. Uh, we've had it pumped once when we first got out here because we didn't know the, the, the stability of the tank. We didn't know how good it was. So we had somebody come out and pump it. Uh, but since then, we have been trying to uh, do it uh, in an organic sense where we are trying to put the correct kind of organic matter into the tank so that it, it eats our waste and reduces the amount of uh, buildup in the tanks. Um, unfortunately, one of the tanks, we have two tanks, there's like an overflow system where it you know, gets to a certain point and then overflows into the other, it sits in there and tries to break down more. Um, and then it slowly leaches out into a section of um, paddock that we don't grow any of our veggies in. Although I've heard people grow veggies with the human manure and not a problem at all. So don't turn your nose up at it completely. Um, but one of our tanks we believe has a little bit of a split in it. So out of those two tank system that we have, we're probably going to have to replace one in the next year or two. At the moment, they're holding fine and we don't put enough waste in because we're still at work all day and the kids are at school all day. Um, we're not using it as much as some people would if they were on the farm 24-7. Um, for our garbage, this is an interesting one. We don't have a garbage service. Our rates do not include a garbage service. We don't pay extra to have a garbage service. I know when I travelled in the States... Uh, that that is something that you pay for yourself in certain areas. We visited some friends who were living in Washington long term and they had to pay for a garbage service. Um, in Australia, that's generally covered within your rates. Uh, because we're so rural, we do not get a garbage service provided courtesy of our rates. So we do what we have to. We recycle glass and plastic bottles. Um, and some, some states of Australia have a really good system on that where you can get cash back. Uh, any organic organic matter that would come through the household, whether it's a meat product or, or any other kind of product, it either goes into a chook bucket to go to the chooks as scraps, or it goes into a compost bucket and it goes out into my compost pile, uh, depending on whether or not the chickens can eat it or whether it's not really suitable for chickens. Uh, but everything gets composted one way or another, either via the chickens or via the compost heap. Uh, and any paper waste that we have gets burnt because we have a wood fire. But also too in summer we will have uh, like a 44 gallon drum that we use and we just notify our local fire authorities and say we're doing a burn off and we burn off within our 44 gallon drum. Obviously sometimes that builds up. Australian summers are known for our bushfires. So there are sometimes we can't do that but it's only paper. We just build it up on the veranda and then do it when we need to. So the third principle of modern homesteading is small-scale farming and gardening. And this is probably what most people think of when they think of homesteading. They think of people raising uh, veggie gardens where they use a certain amount and sell off their excess or preserve their excess for during the winter months. Now, it can fall under many different names and titles. You know, permaculture is something that was developed in Australia by uh, Bill Mollison, and I'm going to be terrible and say I forget the other guy's name. Uh, but permaculture principles were developed in Australia. Uh, there's certainly, I think most people that have been in gardening circles would understand permaculture principles, even if they haven't studied them. They would understand the concept of you know, keeping the, the health in the soil and making sure that you utilise things within a certain, for me, it's within a certain um, distance from the house. So I have my 
veggie gardens that I visit frequently a lot closer than my say my fruit trees who I don't need to visit as often they're a little bit further away um, but permaculture principles great thing read um, introduction to permaculture I think is the book if you're interested in that that is a super good one uh, the other two people who who talk about gardening and small well one person talks about gardening and small scale farming is Joel Salatin his books are awesome uh, there's also a gentleman who is in Sweden he's a pommy guy but he's in Sweden and he has an awesome setup for his veggie gardens too um, as far as the larger scale stuff I'm going to go back to my favourite man in the world, Alan Savory. He, on a larger scale of homesteading, he is all over it. He is the king, or the god of regenerative agriculture. Uh, he, I don't think he started it, but he certainly has utilised it and, and become more um, concentrated on the best ways to make it work for us. Uh, but yeah, small scale farming, gardening, Now you could do that in your backyard. You don't need five acres to do that. Um, a backyard is more than enough to have your own veggie garden and um, it leads into my fourth principle which is food preservation and storage I don't think there's a modern homesteader out there that <laughs> doesn't understand the necessity for food preservation and storage um, it, unless you live in a beautiful climate where your garden flourishes all year round um, then, then you probably don't need to do it as much. But for most of us, we live in a climate where, you know, there's cold winter months where the ground is, I think the correct word is dearth, where you are not going to be able to grow things. Now, you could have a greenhouse. Now, certainly, I know my mother's always had a greenhouse where she grows things that wouldn't normally grow in winter and they, they thrive in the greenhouse. Um, my long-term goal is to have a greenhouse that actually has a like a wood fire thing in it where I can kind of just keep like a little chip heater going uh, so that through the really cold months when it's you know we know we're going to get a frost the um, temperature in the greenhouse stays at a more constant temperature allowing the plants to th thrive in there um, but food preservation and storage is super important you get a glut of products in summer and spring and then come winter you have nothing and that goes not just for gardening stuff but it also goes for things like honey and uh, milk and cheese um, we milk our goats here in Australia and it might be different around the world but for me I um, dry them up each year before they go back into kid so I will milk from August usually through to about March and then around the time that they're getting back into kit again, I will start to dry them up. And that just gives the girls a chance to recoup and recover. You know, I mean, it sounds terrible. I feel like they're just brood mares essentially, but they're not. They're my girls and I want them to do well and I want them to be at optimum health when I am milking them. So giving them that chance to, to recover and not be constantly being milked. If I was a commercial dairy it would be different I would have to manage that completely differently but for a modern homesteader I don't need to I can give them that break and by giving them that break what I generally do is I'll have frozen milk I know people who have um, gone to the expense of massive those, those they're not massive but they're home style dehydrators where they'll dehydrate milk um, but also too um, sometimes we just go without milk through those winter months but we have cheese and we'll have yogurt <laughs> and yeah things like that so we cope I'm, I'm 
looking at how to can milk and I know that sounds really weird but I've seen people doing it on my canning pages and that's my next thing this year is coming to the end I want to try and can some milk while we have a glut through our spring and summer and hopefully through winter I won't have to buy any milk at all for anyone in the household because we'll just have canned milk instead so that would be really awesome um, so canning fruit and vegetables as well is another thing um, I want to try canning meat, which I've never done before, but that's top of my list at the moment. There's also the process of dehydrating, uh, which, you know, dehydrating is drying the food out and then you rehydrate it when you use it. So things like mushrooms are really good. Herbs are really good for dehydrating. Uh, fruit could be dehydrated. So apple pieces and banana pieces could be dehydrated and then utilized through the winter months when you don't have the fresh fruit. Um, another one that I would like to do is to build, and the poor handy helper, he gets so many tasks on his list. Um, I want an underground storage. So I want a root cellar, basically, uh, where I can store my onions and potatoes and carrots and pumpkins and things like that over the winter months without any dramas. It'd have it in like a cool room, but I don't want to have to pay to, to chill a cool room because I'm a tight ass. So I want to do it so that it's an underground cellar where we utilize the fact that under the ground the earth keeps things at a more constant cool temperature. So that's on handy helpers list, don't tell him because he'll probably get the shits with me. Another thing on his list. <laughs> Uh, so uh, one of the people that I've just started kind of following in relation to food preservation and storage is a woman from the US called Melissa K. Norris. Um, found her on Instagram through another lady's podcast that I listen to. Highly recommend her. She is awesome. She um, has so many tips. I think she grew up in a homesteading environment and she's then gone on to homestead herself as an adult. Um, but she's all over it with all the different types of food preservation. I think she even has a book in relation to it. <clears throat> so the next one is the DIY skills and handcrafting. Homesteading means that you aren't running to the shops to buy everything. And that means that there's so many things that you need to learn to do yourself. Um, and that can be uh, repairing buildings, building buildings. We've built our own goat houses and chicken houses. Our chicken tractor was an old trailer that the handy helper converted for me. Um, I gave him the plans of what I wanted and he used his welding skills to make it happen. Um, very impressive, I thought. Um, but uh, creating homemade products as well. So creating your own soaps um, is something that we do here. And certainly both my kids have got involved in that process and love it. Um, knitting oh, I wish I had more time to knit I really do I love knitting I'm a terrible crocheter but I love knitting but I am trying to spin my own wool from our own angoras um, beekeeping is another one and obviously there's the associated wax products that comes with that and certainly at the moment I'm selling um, beeswax wraps online unfortunately the wax is not from my own bees I'm not getting enough wax to do that at this stage so I had to buy them to sell on my Amazon store um, but yeah that's down the track that's kind of where I'm heading to uh, things like woodworking being able to repair your own furniture make your own furniture um, those kinds of things where you know a, a greenhouse that I'm looking at building I'm currently gathering secondhand supplies to do that but it's just being a little bit more self-sufficient in that you can do it yourself now I'm lucky I did years ago when I 
first left school I did two years of a carpentry and joinery apprenticeship before I realised that the building industry was probably not the right place for me. Uh, so I am a little bit handy with those kinds of things, woodworking stuff, but I still rely on the handy helper. I can't do it all myself. Sometimes it's a weight factor, you know, I can't lift things, that kind of stuff. But between us, we work it out and get it working. Um, the sixth principle is resourcefulness and minimalism. Now, I'm not a huge on minimalistic living. I live in a tiny house, so we don't have a lot of stuff. I do have a shipping container that's full of things that I really, really need to go through, work out what's a priority and get rid of it. Uh, but I am big on not wasting stuff. We try to end the week, and I say it to my kids all the time, there's nothing nicer than a feeling of using a jar in the fridge and scraping the last of it out of the jar. In my mind, using things before they expire, <laughs> it's like a, it's like an adult, it's like getting an extra birthday card or birthday present for your, for your birthday as an adult. I love using up the last of things in the fridge because it means that we've, we've only used what we needed before it went bad. Um, but recycling things, I'm a huge recycler. Our milking bale um, was a table, a coffee table that I got from our local green shed, which is where they recycle stuff that's been dumped at the tip. Um, you, reusing uh, cloth, any, any clothing in the house that has got holes in it, it never gets thrown out. It always gets recycled in some way, shape or form. Um, but I also compost a lot as well. So composting to me is a big way of reducing our waste. And we don't buy things anymore. My, my kids are 13 and 11 and they have been gifted so many things over the years. They've been spoilt rotten. They have an auntie who buys them anything at the drop of a hat because she has more money than sense. And yes, Sonia, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but my kids don't need things anymore. They have more than enough. So for their birthdays and Christmases now, they get experiences. We don't buy items so much we, we do buy items they get books they get some clothes things like that but they don't get i want to say junky toys you know the crap that kids get gifted that's just so often you look at it and go what the fuck like seriously they, they're not going to use in five months time they're not even going to remember they had that so last year our last birthdays which was february this year um when they were turning 13 and 11 both of my kids got gifted an experience as such. So my 13-year-old daughter had her ears pierced when she was four years old or three years old and she wanted a second set of piercings in her ears. So for her birthday, for her 13th birthday, she got gifted a gift voucher for the shop that you go to and have your ears pierced and it included the earrings and all that kind of thing. But that was, that was her birthday present. That's what she wanted. That's what she got. My son has a fascination with flying. He wants to be a pilot or be in the Air Force when he grows up. So we gifted him a half-hour flying lesson. 11 years old and he's flown a plane before he's driven a car. That's what he tells everybody. And so he went down. I had to drive him down to uh, one of our local airports, which was a couple of hours away. And he was given a rundown of how to check a plane before he goes up in it and got to call the tower and ask if they could take off and he actually did the takeoff in the plane so you couldn't wipe the smile off his face for about a month 
and he keeps telling everybody how he's flown a plane before he drove a car so he's pretty happy but that's the kind of gifts we give him now we don't buy junk because we just don't need any more junk around the house so i wouldn't say we're minimalistic but we're probably more minimal than some people are and i think that's a that's a key feature of homesteaders more because it comes down to questioning whether or not you really need it is it worth spending money on and if you are trying to reduce how much you spend cash wise then you really do have to ask the hard questions sometimes now just a couple more next one number seven is connection to nature and land stewardship this obviously comes from being uh, on the side of the regenerative agricultural kind of permaculture set and at the end of the day if we are utilizing the land and soil to provide nourishment to our livestock to grow our vegetables to grow flowers and fruit trees uh, to allow bees to pollinate and therefore make honey if we're doing all those things we really can't afford to treat the soil and the ground and the earth like it's shit we have to treat it like it is a tool and a tool that we need to maintain and look after and if we don't do that we're not going to get the best out of it we're not going to have beautiful lush grass for our cattle um, we're not going to have flowers that our bees can pollinate um, it, it, you know without without treating the land like uh, how, how we should without treating it in the best way we possibly can we're not going to get the best out of it so to me that land stewardship really comes for anybody even if you weren't a regenerative agriculturalist even if you are just somebody who has a backyard garden you need to make your soil your friend you need to treat it the right way you need to make sure that it's okay and in in doing that you'll get the best out of it it's pretty simple so, but that's a big one for homesteaders. I think homesteaders probably treat soil and the earth better than people that live in town <laughs> because they have no choice. They have to. Um, number eight, community engagement and collaboration. Now, I'm probably not as big on this as some people, and that's partially because I think that homesteading is so much bigger in the US than it is here in Australia. And I kind of think that's sad. I, I'd like to think that we are coming around in Australia. We're becoming more... Um, self-sufficient and we're getting better at not being these individuals in pockets of land that are just looking after our own little patch but collaborating with our neighbors and bartering you know I might have a glut of tomatoes this year and somebody else might have a glut of carrots which I'm terrible at growing and therefore I could say oh look here's some tomatoes here's some cans of tomatoes here's some fresh tomatoes and I'll take some carrots off you to hang in my cool room um but also too, and this goes on to the principle that I've listed as number nine, which is education and skill sharing. One thing that modern homesteaders seem to do, and certainly, like I say, more so in the States than here in Australia, is sharing knowledge and experience. Not everybody grew up on a farm. I spent my teenage years from age 12-ish until 18 on the farm. <clears throat> so six years on the farm, which is probably a lot considering I was homeschooled and we were there 24 7 and I had to help with a lot of the chores on the farm because dad was away working and mum was running the farm essentially um, so that skill sharing set of oh, there's so many people coming into farming or coming into homesteading and and they might know a little bit about farming but they don't know about everything so I have a lot of people ask me questions about chicken keeping because they know that I've had chickens for a long time 
and I'm pretty good at that. Um, goats. I get a lot of questions about goats. Um, we get a lot of questions. A lot of people come to me about the Merrimah, our, our livestock guardian dog, um, who is just awesome. Uh, but you know, if if you've not been exposed to those types of things, you don't know. So that community and the and number number eight and number nine community engagement and education skill sharing kind of all really balls into one, where when you find like-minded people you can swap things with them whether that's produce whether that's knowledge about how to do best make cheese or what to do when you're milking cow there's a problem with your milking cow's udder and you're not sure whether it's a vet trip or whether it's something you can manage yourself um, once you've been through a few of those processes you know we've had mastitis here on the farm uh, we've had stillbirths on the farm we've had bloat there's lots of things that i know how to do better because I've actually experienced them. But somebody else who maybe hasn't had that knowledge or experience may not know how to do. And so it, the homesteading style of, of working things is to share that knowledge and not hold it all in for you. It's not there. You, you're not the... You know, you're not the be-all and end-all of that knowledge. It's better to spread that information and know that other people are managing their animals and their ground and their soil all in the same way, which is a good, healthy system. Uh, but being open to being taught is also a big one. And I know I've dealt with some people in my lifetime, you know. I've been 23 years nearly in law enforcement. There's always people that you just can't tell. Um, we sometimes refer to my 13-year-old as Google because her usual response is, I know. Um, so some people aren't really open to being taught, but it would be nice to know that you have that free kind of communication where somebody can teach you something, you can teach them something. Certainly, I'm not an expert in all things homesteading, and I love finding new information, and I love it when I find somebody who clearly has more knowledge than me and can give that knowledge to me because it just makes me a better homesteader. So more than happy for that. And then the last principle is really flexibility and adaptability. And modern homesteading is a, is a funny little beast in that nothing ever goes to plan. <laughs> I'd like to say that life doesn't get in the way, but life gets in the way a lot. Um, I've had some really sad moments on the farm where I've had to change my tact. I, I had a goat with mastitis. It was, she was a first freshener. I thought I was doing everything right. I wasn't. We ended up losing her. We lost one of her kids. We had one remaining kid. So, you know, learning to adjust to what needs to be done can sometimes be sad, hard, not what you're planning for. But then there's other times where, you know, you go in the, in the right direction. Um, the potty calves came up as a, a, a I think, a... Um, Facebook feed or marketplace going oh this person selling potty calves does anybody know anybody that wants to buy potty calves I put my hand up I, I'd actually not raised potty calves I've always raised cows and their calves not potty calves on their own so that was a learning learning skill for me but it actually made me a lot more flexible because I suddenly realized that raising potty calves is not that hard it's, you still have to go through all the same things that you would go through for cows and calves, uh, but the difference is you have to get up early in the morning and feed them milk, and last thing at night, feed them milk, and listen to them moo when they want their milk and you haven't got up there in time. Um, but your individual circumstances around where you live and what you're capable of is something that you need to work out for yourself. So 
being flexible and saying, look, I can have a veggie garden this year, but I can't have livestock this year. I'm, I'm not ready for livestock. I've got too many commitments. I've got kids' sporting commitments, which I have plenty of. I know that feeling. Um, I still work 40 hours a week, so... You know, there's times when I get home and it's eight o'clock at night and I'm collecting eggs, which is just ridiculous. But you have to be flexible. Um, and you also have to, like I said earlier, not beat yourself up if there's something that you can't do. If food preservation is not your cup of tea, well, just don't do it. Just grow your fresh veggies, grow what you can and utilize that. It may be down the track that you decide to get back into food preserva preservation and give it another go, or you may never go back to it, and that's fine too. Um, you may find that you can never ever dispatch an animal for eating. Uh, that's fine. Nobody's, nobody's judging. Um, but if you can have a go at it, if you think it's something that you'd like to do, then jump in and have a go. And if you don't, if you think, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, ask around send me a dm i'm happy to answer any questions send me a dm and say hey i'm going to dispatch some chickens i'm not sure what i need to think about what do i what do i need to go through more than happy to help um so i think that real like true homesteaders really embrace that ability to adjust what they've got in front of them and if it's not going to work they they don't beat themselves up they just move on and remember too that land you don't need a massive farm to homestead um you know, I've seen people commercial farming on 500, 1,000. God, in Australia here, we have 20,000 acre farms. Um, I couldn't imagine running a farm that big. I take my hat off to the people that do because that's a lot of land to look after. Uh, but realistically, you know, we're on 120 acres here. You don't even need 120 acres. We started our first small farm, and I had a veggie garden in my backyard before I moved out of suburbia. But our, the first small farm that we moved to, I moved to with kids, was two and a half acres. Um, I had veggie gardens, I had fruit trees, I, I didn't even really have nut trees. I had a next door neighbour who had hazelnut trees lining her driveway and she never did anything with the nuts. And I said to her, when they're, when they're ready to fall next time, do you mind if I collect some? And she said, go for your life. I don't care, I, I don't use them. Um, I also went and harvested um, uh, lemons, might have been lemons, I think, or kumquats or something like that, off a tree that was on council land. And I just rang the council and said, look, the tree's there, it's fruiting. Does anybody collect the fruit? And they said, no, nobody collects the fruit. And I said, do you mind if I go onto the council land and collect it? Like, you know, realistically, what a waste of fruit. And they had no problem with it. I went and... I went and scabbed all the fruit that I could get and I think I think I made jam out of it anyway uh, but we had so we had fruit trees we didn't really have any nut trees we have veggie gardens um, on the two and a half acres I had a flock of chickens that I was using for eggs we didn't have meat chickens at that point we were just using them for eggs I had two milking goats that my mother had gifted me that um, were both already in kids so that was awesome we just you know as soon as they had the kids I started milking now i I'd never milked goats. I'd milked cows as a kid. I'd never milked goats as a kid. But it's not a hard transition over. You just need to have smaller hands, which the handy helper can't do. Um, and, um, and I had a beehive there. Now, a beehive, a couple of goats, chickens, that's a huge amount on two and a half acres. But we just moved them around the paddocks. We'd separated paddocks with electric fence and and shifted the chickens you know the chickens were in there underneath the orchard so they could get rid of any pests for me and do pest control and the goats had paddocks that we just moved them in from time to time and we built a shed for them 
we also had a water tank there so we were starting to collect our own rainwater uh, but we weren't off grid at that point we were still on grid very much so so starting small allows you to cut your teeth a little bit before you move on to the bigger larger homestead front type ideas and it also gives you an opportunity to decide if it's really for you because you might be really good with urban homesteading you might be fine with having a little flock of chickens a veggie garden a fruit tree preserving your fruit and and i mean you can go to the markets and buy when there's excess fruit and veg and preserve that you don't even have to grow your own to preserve um, but if urban homesteading suits you and you feel comfortable with it power on through i won't be surprised if you get to a point where you go this isn't enough i want more because that's what I did. I started doing all those things. I was making my own sourdough bread. I was trying to make my own cheeses. I was preserving foods. I had a couple of chickens. Next thing you know, I need more. <laughs> I just kept moving up until we got to the large scale. Now that we're on the 120 acres, I have no intention of moving from here. This is the perfect size for me. Uh, given the list of things that I rattled off earlier, they're all the things I want to do. And this is the right size for me to do that. Anyway, that's the 10 principles that I think apply to being a modern homesteader. Um, I would really love it if you DM'd me uh, at, on my Instagram, which is not the farmer's wife or Mojo Homestead, and let me know what you think. If any of those really kind of resonate with you, if there's something that you think is something you really already do or something that you want to get into, um, send me a DM. Let me know. I'd love to hear. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, keep an eye on the pages i've got a few new things coming so if you're not already on the mojo homestead newsletter go to www.mojohomestead.net and it's backslash seven must knows and you'll get a little cheat sheet of seven things you need to know before you get backyard chickens um, jump on there and then you'll be on the news list on our newsletter list and you'll get a weekly newsletter from me telling me about what we're doing on the farm and uh, all the kinds of things that are coming up for us uh, but also there'll be some news on the next couple of weeks I would imagine on things that are happening at Mojo Homestead uh, and I would love to have you there anyway thanks for listening and I'll talk to you all next week bye thanks so much for listening today I hope you've enjoyed our time together if you did I'd be so grateful if you left me a review I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.